Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our sermon series using the Aha of Epiphany. As we go through the text, we're pulling out pieces that we have seen, pieces that remind us of whose we are and who we are in Jesus Christ. We've been jumping back and forth between the Gospels. Last week we looked at the Gospel of John, and tonight, or this morning, we look at the Gospel of Matthew. And as Dana read the text before us, here it is again, and we're going to dive straight into this. So here we go. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which, by, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land, the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So as we take a look at this first piece here, when Jesus had heard that John had been put in prison, what we're remembering here is that, whoops, I'm sorry, my first time using the pen at the 930 service, I'm a little excited. Now, you're wondering why was John put in prison, and of course that's because in Mark chapter 6 we remember that John the Baptist had been condemning Herod for taking on his, uh, his brother's wife, his brother Philip's wife, and so that led him into prison, which would later on leave him to be beheaded. And as you can see on this map, he leaves Nazareth, goes and lived in Capernaum, but because we've got a few acolytes here, confirmation students, let's see how well they and you can do. Now, Jesus baptized in the Jordan River, right? making his way up to Nazareth. What's this little stop in Cana? Anybody remember? That's right, water into wine. You will be confirmed, and so will the rest of you. And then he's making his way up here to Capernaum. And then we get to fulfill what was said through the prophet of Isaiah. Now, this is a little bit different than what we read just in Isaiah chapter 9, specifically this little piece at the end. But first, let's start here with this idea of the people living in darkness. This is one of those common themes that we see throughout the, the Bible. It's the poetic idea, the figurative idea that darkness is always representing deep distress, though in the book of Job, it goes as far as representing even death, right? Death of Sheol, of hell, of the pit. And so these people who are living in this have seen this great light. This is epiphany, right? This is Jesus, the light of the world. But then when you see shadow of death, perhaps that's a little bit familiar for you. If you're wondering where you'd seen it before, we see it in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, it's the shepherd who walks us through the valley of the shadow of death, and we will fear no evil, for he is with us. In fact, if you were a shepherd in the area of Palestine where this is written, you get this idea that there actually is a place called the valley of death. It's a five-mile piece that's about 12 feet wide, and a shepherd would have to take his sheep through it. Now, there were jagged rocks, there were briars that would overhang, it was very dangerous, it was very dark, but there was no bypass. There is no way around. The shepherd has to lead his sheep through the valley of death. He leads them through to better and new pastors that are on the other side. Friends, we can take hope then. Because we know that the valley of death, the trials and the tribulations of life are not optional. They will happen. But it is the shepherd seen in this image here to our right who carries us through that valley. And I don't think it's an accident that we placed the shepherd right there at the resurrection of the tomb, 
For even the darkness of death did not stop the light of Jesus bursting forth and shining in that empty tomb. Our shepherd carries us and walks us through. The text continues and says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach repentance. Because you'll remember John the Baptist was preaching repentance as well. But what was unique to Jesus, while John was only preaching repentance to the Jews, Jesus is preaching repentance to all people. And this idea of repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near can kind of be summed up in these three ways. To turn from evil and to turn to the good, or rather to turn back to God. In the Old Testament, the major prophets said this a lot, especially Ezekiel and Jeremiah, when they said, repent from your evil ways. In the New Testament, it was picked up again by the Apostle Paul, only this time in Romans 12, he talks about the renewing of your mind. Change your mind. Turn back to God. And the, of course, the regret and the remorse, which is an appeal to God's mercy. So we see the fullness of this repentance in the Gospels, when in Mark he says, repent for the good news has come that you may believe. In Matthew where it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in Luke where it's repent and then followed by these teachings of Jesus. When we see repentance, it is clear that we must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Which led me to our first aha of our text today, which is that, friends, we cannot skip the word repentance when it comes to following Jesus. We cannot ignore repent. That's why in our service we begin with confession. And I don't know about you, but I thought Dr. Heidi and Alex Gebert found a fantastic confession for us to speak to this morning. We have our traditional first John, if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just. But this other one, and it's there in page two, that we have walked in darkness so long that we begin believing that the darkness to be the light. There is a reason we begin by confessing our sins, of admitting our brokenness corporately to one another so that we recognize that we are not in this alone, but all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's a reason that Luther demanded that we daily die to sin. Confession needs to become a part of our lives because as the psalmist warns us, when we do not confess our sins, it is like our bones are drying up and we are dying from within. For too long, the whole self, the head, the heart, the hands, and the habits have been consumed by sin. And it is destroying us. For too long we have let our heads and our minds be focused on the what's, the what's we don't have. Too long we only see what is wrong in our lives. Too long we have allowed our hearts to not be satisfied and have been quick to try to find whatever can get us through and fix it as fast as possible. We have become a people who have forgotten how to embrace our suffering and learning to be patient and wait upon the Lord. It's time that we turn back from the ways of thinking that we can't do something or the ways of thinking that, well, we're too old or we've become too accustomed to our ways to change. Delighted too long in the ways of self first and have pursued that snake's lies that this life is about me. The life of one following Jesus 
is one of confession. For when we confess, we receive what we have in Jesus. We seek his face. It's time we quiet our minds, close our eyes, and fold our hands in prayers and pray for forgiveness, seeking him. For when we seek his face, we find hope, we find strength, we find salvation, we experience living in the light. And those burdens that have been wearing us down become wonders as it is our God himself who weighs lace to the mountains and finds a path through the valleys. I think of the prophet Nehemiah, a man who had been exiled and watched his city destroyed. And yet he sought the face of the Lord by offering up a quick prayer before he would stand in the presence of the king and say, send me back to my city so that I may rebuild it. One man who had recognized that he had been broken and his people had been lost, but sought the face of the Lord for restoration and was sent to fix it. Because we have to fight to follow Jesus. It will not just happen. And I've sat with too many young men who struggle, who can't get over a particular sin. And when I sit with them and I teach them, in these moments, pray. In these moments, fill your mind with the scriptures that you have reminded yourself of. Lean and trust in God to deliver you from this moment. They find strength and they find power. If you are struggling with sin, you are not alone. The Lord is with you. Call out to Him. Pray to Him. Remove yourself from the situation. He is there with you. Fight to follow Jesus. Want it and desire it. And fight to love. Fight to break the vain obsession that we have over ourselves and open your eyes and see. See the love that you have to give. For it is in our love for Jesus and love for others that we can combat the pride that we have. And never forget that you are not alone. Rest in the promise that he has for you. For the shepherd seeks you and longs for your repentance and heaven rejoices over it. The shepherd himself is undoing all of the lies that that garden snake has given you and is seeking you. Look what we see. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, he saw first two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen, he said, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left the nets and followed him. Jesus sees us, and what do we see? We see names, that he calls us by name. That we are seen and noticed by the Lord himself. That he sees you, and that he knows your name. What was promised to you in baptism is truly yours. That there is a personal invitation, a specific purpose for you in Jesus. And if right now you're thinking, well, I'm not good enough, spend some time in Luke chapter 4 and hear about Peter himself who was called, fell down to his knees and said, get away from me, Lord, I'm not good enough for you. 
I know who I am and what I'm about, and I'm not good enough for you. And Jesus reaches down and pulls him up and says, yes, you are, for I, Jesus, have called you. And I will make you something more. And the response is to be with Jesus and to go. Look at this with these other brothers. Seeing James and John, they leave and they go to be with Jesus and then to follow. Friends, don't forget that they left to be with Jesus. They left the nets and they left the, ne- the boats, not for fish, not for politics, not for power, not for a promise of wealth or for better morals or happiness. They left to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus and to follow him so that they could save people. And that leads us to our next aha, which is this sense of urgency that we need to have. Because people are dying and going to hell. And people are lost in the darkness. That is not an opinion, but that is fact. People are going to hell. The apostle writes that the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So we put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. An armor that is rooted in trust in Jesus, in his word, and doing the things that he has called us to do. The sense of urgency, not a tyranny of urgency. No longer do we say, well, we're too busy and we have too much going on. Being slaves to busyness. Those chains have been broken so that we can see the true urgency. To live for what's important. To not live as a slave. And when you find yourself saying, I'm too busy, stop and remember first who you are, whose you are, and what you have decided to be about. To answer the call of following Jesus. And you have been given a commitment to the place where you are. I do not think that we need to leave everything. We may not need to. Not all of us need to go out there and become deep sea fishers. Let's start by fishing the ponds in our own backyard. Let's start first with our family, with our neighborhood, with our workplace. He has called you and placed you right where he wants you to fish those ponds first. And so there is no better time than to take this discipleship checkup survey to see where am I at with Jesus? And what are the ponds that I need to go and start fishing for him? So let's do this. Let's take this discipleship checkup survey. Don't just sit there. This is your moment. Pull out your iPhone camera. (laughs) Scan it over that code. And if you're like me and you're like, I will be no slave to a rectangle. I do not bring my phone to my church. (laughs) Then we printed it out for you. You can take it right there. But this is the time. If you've already taken it because you got here a little bit early, you can give me the holy nod. But the rest of us, this should be our moment of pulling out that phone or grabbing that piece of paper and taking this checkup together. We can confess our sins together and we can see how we are doing. The first one is going to ask you of how well we are doing connecting to God. 
And if you're wondering, your screen's too small, I can't see it. That's because it's supposed to be in front of you. What are you doing looking up at the screen right now? <laughs> the question begins with the rhythm of life that we have. Am I worshiping weekly at St. John's? Am I fully participating in this worship? When I sing, am I singing? When I'm confessing my sins, am I not just going through the motions of speaking words, but believing what I say and receiving what has been promised to me? The faith that we confess is a faith that folks have died for. And it's one that we share. Do I gladly go to the supper? Am I in the word daily? Because I myself will know who Jesus is by reading about him. Am I praying daily? And am I allowing that word to guide me through my life, not just be another checklist item that I go through? You'll get to that piece about grow. And this is the part where we remember that we're not in this alone. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about the body of Christ as well. Am I involved in a life group? Am I going to a Bible study? Am I surrounding myself with other Christians to engage in the Word of God? Do I have Christian friends that I confide in, trust to be able to confess and hold myself accountable to? knowing that they will promise me the forgiveness and will walk through with me just as the shepherd does? Am I praying for others? And am I sharing with them my burden so that they can pray as well? This is life together as it was meant to be. We are not meant to be alone. And then we get into sharing Christ. How am I using my words? How am I using the gifts that God has given me? How am I taking the blessings and the resources that he has given me and sharing those with others? We take this survey because it works in our heart of showing us where we are and it allows us as a church body to find what our weaknesses are and to equip ourselves better so that we can follow Jesus and rescue those partnering with him and saving the lost. We take this survey and remember why. Because our Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching, proclaiming, healing. And he does that for us as well. And news about him spread all over Syria. And what do you know? People brought to Jesus all. Didn't matter where. They will come from wherever to see this Jesus because they need him. And a light that shines in darkness is what draws us. And the restorative hope of Jesus that you have and that you share shines that light into the darkness of people's lives. And so if our aha moment from last week was that Jesus' followers have always given witness to him and brought people to him, then we conclude that with the knowledge that it is he himself, the good shepherd, who has called us to be with him and to follow as disciples, as learners who sit at his feet. 
trusting that he has come for us and for all who are far off. That he will continue to deliver forgiveness, will empower in our hearts repentance so that we can turn back to God and grab the hands of those that we are fishing for and bring them to this Jesus, this hope that we have.